You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, I'm Deep. I'm Jose. And we're your token theater friends, two people who see too much theater and don't have anyone else to talk about it to and, and except each other. What are we talking about today, Jose? We are sitting in a gorgeous field surrounded by... Okay, well, no, we're not. But we went on a field we trip. Did. We yeah. did sit in a field. I mean, our listeners don't necessarily know that we're not out in a field right now, right? No, no, they can't hear it. No. But anyway, first we went up to Bard College to see Leonard Bernstein's Peter Pan, which hadn't been done in what I keep saying was like over a thousand years. It's probably not accurate, but at least like 50 years. Because he likes to exaggerate. And he's wearing... Because time is fun exaggerating about. Mm -hmm. Then we went to the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival for The Heart of Robin Hood, a play by David Farr, directed by Suzanne... Agents. Is it agents? Agents? We should have asked someone, but we didn't. Sorry, Suzanne. Yeah, and the reason we did it is was because, you know, it's summer in the city. It's hot. It's smelly. And sometimes you just need to get away. And summer in American theater means that you can watch theater outside and you can drink while you do it. And so... We did those things, and they're awesome. And both of these places that we went to give you shuttle service from Manhattan to the theater, So, and they're so close. So we thought, why not? We've never been to these places, and they sound like fun places to go to. Yeah, and we might be, like, jumping ahead of ourselves, but, yeah, like, we should point it out. We should point out that getting to these places was easy. It was, you know, like probably like even more comfortable than riding the subway like the mta is crazy and getting to hudson valley for instance which i thought was like a day and a half you know trip worth of a trip away was an hour away from new york from grand central and i was just so shocked about it and then you know you can take a, a short cab drive if you don't drive you can take an you can get a lift or an uber or get a cab into town and the theater is like five minutes from the train station we didn't know this before heading up there right and it goes to show you that, you know, like we say all the time, great theater isn't just in New York or on Broadway. It's everywhere. And so hopefully by the time you finish listening to this episode, you'll be inspired to go do some field tripping of your own. Yes. And first up, uh, yeah. And speaking of which, first up, we are going to present to you an interview that we did with Aaron Marquis, the fantastic singer, songwriter, performer, theater maker, who was last seen in Siglet at the Bushwick Star, an original work that they created, and who was also in Assassins last year at New York City Center. And Aaron played Wendy in Peter Pan at the Fisher Center for the Performing Arts at Bard College, and they talked to us about reinventing this chauvinistic tale for the 21st century. So, <laughs> check it out. Aaron, thank you for joining us. That performance was just like mind-blowing. So can you describe what this Peter Pan is like for our viewers? Yeah. Um, this Peter Pan is a sort of like... Mm, it acknowledges the the kind of like dark tones in the music of Bernstein and, and um, really lets them kind of extend into... Uh, J.M. Barry's also dark play that gets a um, a light touch often. So we're sort of like um, acknowledging the the shadows, I guess, in this production. But and and the idea is to I mean the way it was pitched to me um, 
and I'm sure it was pitched differently to many people, but, uh, that it centers around like Wendy's sort of journey into, um, starts with her sort of um, taking in the portrait of her family and herself within that family dynamic and then letting, um, a kind of like psychological fantasy play out of, um, that has the intention of finding freedom, I guess, in love. I have to admit that I've never been a big fan fan of Peter Pan, the story, just because I found it to be very male-centric and male-dominated. But then when I heard that you were playing Wendy, I thought, okay, I have to go see this <laughs> because there's going to be something deeper here than just like an, another tale about a boy who never grows up. And so like, what was your first, did you enjoy Peter Pan growing up? Um, you know, my Peter Pan that I watched growing up was the Sandy Duncan version of the Mary Martin Peter Pan. So when this was first um, on my radar, uh, I definitely thought it was that production. When I heard the music, I was like, wait a second, where's Tender Shepherd? And I won't grow up. But anyways, um, when they told me that it was going to center around Wendy and her journey i just i got really excited um that we could take these classic narratives that are so steeped in um white patriarchy and start to twist them you know because it doesn't take a lot to like to um shine a light on like another character's story it really doesn't it just takes the willingness of the human beings involved and these are like myths that we're all raised with i mean peter pan is basically a myth so to re like define that myth for my brain and body which is which you know the myth is inside of my bones at this point is is a transformational experience i don't know what it's like for the audience but you know i'm not doing it for them <laughs> well i had a good time so it worked out it worked out well i feel like if i'm having a good time they're probably having a good time but can't be sure thinking about you know the the work of yours that i've seen things like ghost rings and singlet and well now you're wendy you are a performer that i think has no problem connecting to the, the child the inner child so to speak i know it's sick <laughs> <laughs> it's like grow up peter no, but, 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 but I, what i want to ask actually is you know what what was like a couple things maybe that you learned as a child that have proved to be like invaluable to who you are today as an artist and a performer my family is very playful. Um, we're super teasy, you know, and that it can be good and bad. Bad. I just, the Michigan came right on out of me as I said that. I mean, I don't know. I think what happened was uh, when I made my show A Ride on the Irish Cream, I had a really luxuriously long process of making it and the, the, um, the goal of making that show was to try to remember things that I had never remembered before. And I, there weren't any memories that I hadn't remembered before, but there were all these feelings that came up that I, my body and my soul and my like capacity to understand emotions had never really acknowledged. And I think that that was like the moment that I was like, Oh, I'm going to give the child that is this like, queer child with a sexuality the space that um my family and the world didn't have the the capacity to give me then and i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to myself now i feel like for a lot of your work it is about like young women finding like they're finding themselves and growing up and like finding like them themselves as like as women as sexual women as women with a voice and so for you and for your work, it's usually a little bit, a lot, there's a lot of yourself in there too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's always like a process of you discovering another part of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so for this in particular, because Wendy is a character who, you know, she play acts as a mom and makes her realize that she does want to grow up eventually. Mm -hmm. So like, what have you discovered about yourself in this process as a performer? 
or as a person? Yeah, it's funny. Um, well, A, I, I actually don't identify as a woman. And I don't, when I'm playing all those roles, I acknowledge that they're sort of like involving the sphere of the feminine. And some, oftentimes I'm like playing women. But me personally, like I try to just steer clear from those signifiers because it it feels like it really limits my capacity to live but um for this process it was interesting because you know Wendy is like classically performed as like wanting to be a mother um and and yes there's that other aspect at the end of her being like no I really do want to grow up and become these things and that those were challenges for me because um, it felt, uh, it just felt too easy. Like the idea of a mother felt too easy. And um, the idea of growing up and, and like obeying these roles that we all have to occupy or are asked to occupy um, felt too easy. And so I guess like, I was interested in playing the whole scope of emotions that would come with being um, asked to do those things because there's a part of me, you know, Aaron, who really like thinks that it would be cool to be a mother one day. And there's a part of me that's like, I could never ever want that responsibility. Um, Not even responsibility, but that like, that much of my energy and my body to be like taken up by another human being without my full permission moment to moment. Um, I'm sort of rambling right now, but I haven't thought about these things out loud yet. Um, yeah. So I thought it was important to play Wendy as a person that is, uh, dealing with all of her emotions around these things instead of coming to like conclusions and arrivals i guess right well she's like a 12 10 12 year old girl and so she wouldn't know if she wants to be these things yet no but she's also being played by a 36 year old person so it's like when the audience knows that i'm not 12 so it's like we have to deal with both realities that i'm playing a child and that i'm not one and and I think, like, in the same way, uh, holding the whole scope of that reality within the performance felt really important, too. Because theater is only... Theater sucks when, when you don't do those things. When you're just like, we're obeying the laws of theater for the sake of obeying the laws of theater. Instead of just dealing with the conditions... That are in this live space. Like if you want. To go watch some imaginary things. Get in your bed. Get some popcorn. And turn on Netflix. In the theater. It's the world of the imagination. It's also the world of like. Physical tangible reality. This is a 36 year old body. (laughs) (laughs) It feels disgusting. To have said it 5,000 times today. (laughs) But it's good practice. <laughs> um, the show. Uh, <laughs> well, especially because like everyone's just so obsessed. The culture is so obsessed with like being young. Yes, I know, and that was one thing during this show. When when the hook is like Peter Pan, who and what art thou? And Peter Pan's line is something like, um, "I am." Shanana, I am youth. I am the little bird that's broken out of the egg. Like, I really had to, like, make a decision about that line that was not about total ageism. Because I was like, that wouldn't be very kind to my future self to be like, yeah, only young people are the best. <laughs> like, it was more like <laughs> the idea of uh, being really present with. Um, everything that's happening now instead of taking whatever you learned from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and trying to apply it to your future forever. That's what I decided Peter Pan meant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
this Peter Pan is very much like those, you know, like crazy molecular cuisine restaurants where like they like give you a bubble out of like jello and then they spray like chocolate and water on your face and you're like, ooh, I just had a mousse or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I've never done that. Oh, you've never done it? Yeah, it's it's weird and it won't it won't get you you know, you won't be satisfied. You'll still be hungry. Uh but uh, you know, in the way that everything's dissected and Mm -hmm. it's you know like a very smart deconstruction of Peter Pan and I usually associate you with new work so to see you in a revival I'm like this must be like a amazing exciting revival to get you involved so are there any you know musicals or any canon pieces of a theater that you would just love to dissect in the way that this show is dissected that's a really good question that I haven't thought about ish I mean it's uh it's like i feel like um being queer has taught me to always think about every classic work is something that i am casting myself in on some level and could never be in a real production of so i feel like i've done that with like almost every work the first thing that's coming to mind is gypsy but i could never decide which role that i'm playing because i'm just like i'm all of them i'm i'm a louise i'm rose i'm dainty june i'm the moo cow caroline it's hard to pick but um i would like to have my hands a little dirtier uh in the conception and the decision making of like a classic that's for sure whether or not i perform in it <laughs> you know there's always an opportunity to perform but to sort of um have the support the institutional support and the like mm, the permission to make a lot of those conceptual decisions would be most exciting to me because you know if you're a fully actualized self you're every part and guess what that means you're the director (laughs) (laughs) so can we see an Aaron Marquis version of Phantom of the Opera oh my god Jack and I Jack Fervor who plays Tinkerbell and is the choreographer have been talking about doing a Phantom for a really long time but we'll see, you know? I'm really burnt on performing right now. <laughs> <laughs> this skin needs a break. I don't care if Mac is sponsoring the show or not. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks for having yeah. me. That was a fun conversation. Erin is incredible. And if you check out the web series version of this, you're going to see us talking to Erin and also Nana from the show. Yes, we sat on the set of the show with the props and it was so much fun. So check it out. Well, we're going to do some analysis of this production. So if you were in the show, please stop listening now and fast forward like 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think, Jose? I love Leonard Bernstein, and I was not familiar with Peter Pan at all. His his Peter Pan was something that, you know, maybe I knew a song or two, but I never really realized that they were from Peter Pan. And what is done in this production is a deconstruction that I found to be absolutely mind-blowing. It's the kind of musical theater that I wish we were seeing in New York. It was kind of like Peter Pan by way of a clockwork orange and like some crazy like performance art meets cabaret meets david lynch there's like giant you know there's people with like giant fairy heads and there's balloons it's just bonkers like it's you know i i'm not endorsing any kind of drug use but it's it's kind of like doing peter pan on acid and i just loved it it was mind-blowing well i i as you can hear in the interview, I told Aaron that I don't, I've never enjoyed Peter Pan because teenage boys are terrible and why the hell would you want to hang out with them? Peter Pan's an asshole. Peter Pan's an asshole. So I really love this production because it focuses so much on Wendy's character and on Wendy's voice and how she develops through it. Like, I feel like Peter Pan wasn't even that big of a presence in this production. Mm-mm. And you can tell by the fact that Aaron sings the most. 
in this production. I love their rendition of it because it felt like so raw and almost and and modern and like alter and kind of like if Joan Jett sang, you know, Leonard Bernstein. Like so, it didn't feel traditional. It didn't feel like a, you know, like a stuffy like ingenue singing it, which I think was to the benefit of this production. Yeah, and I don't think in New York we get to you know other than the assassins that you mentioned. I don't think we get to listen to. Aaron's incredible voice that up. We need to shout Christopher Alden, who directed the piece. He's a British director, and it was very European in the deconstruction. Because I'll just paint it for you if you didn't see the video. You walk into the into the room, and it's a bare set except it's painted a bright lime yellow green. The only big set pieces is a carousel that that's shaped like a shark. And that's, that's it. There's no other giant set piece. There's no pirate ship. There's no people on riggings. It's a very deconstructed version. And I think what they're trying to do is make it seem like it's play acting. It's adults play acting as children. I don't think if you didn't know Peter Pan, you would know what the hell was going on. Because there's like no visual signifiers of any kind of like place. Yeah, it has like very Dali elements. Like yeah. the, the, the crocodile... Is represented by an actor carrying around a clock. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I was like, this is mind blowing. I also would like to give a shout out to Jack Ferber, who is Ooh, an incredible yes. choreographer. He car he choreographed this piece, but Jack also plays Tinkerbell, and mm-hmm. this is like mother sexy, insane asshole of a Tinkerbell. Who you know, when we first see Tinkerbell, Jack's wearing this silver bodysuit body suit. yeah wearing a disco ball on top and it's very something like out of tommy the, the the musical and it's just it's just like incredible like i had never seen a peter pan you know a show of peter pan that was as horny as this one and i think we need mm-hmm. more horny theater and that's the pull quote it's a very adult peter pan and um, i don't think it's kid friendly do you think it's kid friendly Yes, I think children. Really? Yes, I think children should definitely, especially American children. Parents tend to be so puritanical here. I think parents should take their children to show them that you know sexual desire is normal, and that they will become teenagers, they will become adults, and sex will be a part of their lives. I don't think this is something they should be hiding from them. Like my favorite scene in the whole show was where Wendy wants Peter desperately to touch her. And I love this scene for, you know, Aaron's performance is wonderful, but also because the show shows us that it is so rare to see a woman on stage wanting to be sexual and demanding, you know, someone, whether it's a man or a woman, to meet her sexual needs. And we don't see that often. And I think Peter Pan's reaction of disgust and fear in this production to Wendy's advances was also wonderful because it's like, you know, it's like a dude will definitely feel he's being like emasculated and like, you know, like taken advantage of by a woman who states, this is, these are my desires, meet them and do them and, you know, satisfy me. The world's not just about dudes. And then Peter Pan's like, like, I'm not just a mother. Yeah. Peter Pan's like, no, I don't want to touch you. I just want you to be our mom. And when he's like, Fuck you, Peter. And did, and did you get like homoerotic vibes between Tinkerbell and Peter? And maybe that's why Peter didn't want to be touched by Wendy. Well, everyone, yeah. everyone in the show. There's a line where someone sings that this this is so queer, and mm-hmm. they could be describing the show. Like I love that both the shows that we're talking about this this episode are both deconstructions of shows about men in green tights who. <laughs> Who are shown their places by really strong women who are horny and want, you know, just want to be empowered. And hooray for theaters outside of New York City for highlighting this. Yeah. Though my tip if you go see Peter Pan is, like, maybe read up. Like, re-familiarize yourself with the play because they do so much cutting. They cut, like, what was a two-hour play into 80 minutes. And so you will be miss- you will miss some contacts. Like, I missed a little bit. So maybe read up beforehand, see the Disney movie, and then be and then be prepared to like Peter Pan more than you traditionally did. 
as I did. So next up, what's happening, Jose? Next up, we spoke to Robin Kerr, who plays Lady Marion in The Heart of Robin Hood. Robin has also been in uh, Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime at the National Theater and on the Broadway tour. Robin is a Jamaican-English actress, and we spoke to her about what it was like to see herself on stage, whether she likes doing shows in America or England more. And we also bragged a lot about the countryside. So again, if you're not watching the web episode, go do that right now because you're missing out on some incredible, like beautiful views. So let's let's check that out. Yeah. I'm not quite sure you got my drift. Now take your pretty clothes and go home. I have no home. We are the Hudson Valley Shakespeare Festival with Robin Kerr of um, The Heart of Robin Hood and Rip Van Winkle next month. Thank you for having us. Like, I can't get over this I, at all. I, like, neither can I. Every day I come into work and I look at it and it still takes my breath away. It's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, can, can you describe for our viewers what the shows you're working on this uh, summer are? Well, I'm in the heart of Robin Hood. I play Maid Marian. And it is a twist on the classic Robin Hood story. And when we meet our Robin Hood, he is not necessarily a good guy. <laughs> and um, Marian, when we meet Marian, we realize that she is frustrated with the situation of the world and believes that people should be treated fairly and she goes off to make all the wrongs right in the world <laughs> and comes across Robin in the way and they, they join forces. <laughs> uh, and she's certainly not our usual damsel in distress. She is very much a damsel who knows exactly what she's doing and doesn't need anybody to save her. If anything, she does the saving. It's a feminist reinvention. Yes. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> and Rip Van Winkle is the first commissioned piece uh, that they've had for the Hudson Valley, and it involves the community. So mm -hmm. four actors have been hired to play some the family, the Rip Van Winkle family, as well as a, another character in, in the play. And then the whole rest of the cast is filled up with community members. So there's 45 of us in the show mm -hmm. and we are building it together. And also community members are also helping with the building of the set and production. And we're all it's so it's for the community, by the community. And it's a new play, mm. which is very exciting. And the, the wonderful Seth Bokley wrote it and he's also directing it. At a time when, you know, especially in America, but I would dare to say all over the world, it seems that many leaders and governments are precisely against this community building that you're talking about. Why is it then special for you to be doing this show with the people, you know, to remind them that art is, is who they are? Like, art is who we all are, I think. It's, well, I mean, it's why we why I do it it's not for myself to just go out and have a little fun with myself on the stage and be done it's it's for the people who come and see it I know that when I was younger going to the theater and having those moments of escape or going to the theater and learning something going to the theater and experiencing different cultures different ideas uh, seeing people from all over the world I was very lucky that I got to grow up in two different countries so I got a very wide range of different kinds of theatre in Jamaica and in Scotland and in London and I feel like it it opened my eyes in so many ways and theatre to me is is it's an escape and it's also a coming home and it's essential we I think that theatre reflects society. It reflects a society that we would prefer to live in sometimes, a lot of the times actually, and sometimes we hold a mirror up so maybe society can see itself and better itself. It, it's, and especially now, it is so essential. And that was one of the things that I was so excited about getting this job, was getting to build this play with the community. I mean, what's the point? Why are we doing it? <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Uh, and when it comes to Robin Hood, like, and I know I I was never a big fan of the original because mm-hmm. it was just so male driven, and so mm-hmm. getting this to play a, a reinvented version where women get to have more of a voice was that appealing to you? Incredibly appealing, and also the sword fighting. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When was the last time we saw women sword fight on anywhere? On stage. Anywhere? Very. It's even more rare on stage, I yeah. think, than. Um, that on screen because we're getting things like these Avenger movies and superheroes are you know often uh, there are a lot of female superheroes now, um, but I had never wielded a sword before. I hadn't done that, so I've done a lot of movement based theatre before, but getting to use an actual broadsword and fight as tough as the men is so empowering. I'm mm-hmm. I love it so much now that I'm I'm hoping to continue learning more and more about stage combat because it's 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 thrilling right like t- add that skill to your resume and tell your agent like give me give me physical roles <laughs> yes i'm like on it now yeah yeah i've practically been like weightlifting <laughs> these swords are like a, a natural workout now it's far more fun than going to the gym <laughs> And I'm also curious, because you're a person of color and you're playing this role that's traditionally cast with, you know, white ladies, mm-hmm. and have you been getting positive feedback from just young women of color who are seeing this show and seeing yeah, that kind and of representation? Only. And also, do you know what is so magical when you come out and there is a little girl, and sometimes we've had little girls who are not white, who are waiting outside to say hi, to get an autograph. That just warms my heart. Or to see when you come outside as well and the kids are playing and you see little girls pretending to sword fight with each other and realizing that they don't, you know, a princess doesn't have to just sit, wait quietly for her prince to come along and save her. She is participating in the world and is fighting and is battling and it's it's Mm -hmm. realizing that we are becoming more and more equal. So just staying on that note, uh, can you tell us about the very first time that you saw yourself on stage represented? The first time? I, well, I grew up in Jamaica. So I saw, I was lucky to see myself on stage all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, the first pl- big Broadway, play, West End play I saw was Starlight Express. So again, I, was, I saw people like me on stage and then I the second one I saw was Cats and again there was all these mixtures of of cultural backgrounds and races so to me I just thought oh that's the world (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't until I left home and started going to drama school in the UK and that's when I that's when I started to see theatre where oh there was less of me represented Um, in my school I was the only person of color in my year mm. uh, but it's in Scotland so you know fair enough <laughs> you know um, but I certainly I think I've been very lucky because even in Scotland I'm half Scottish I never felt that because my skin color is brown that that I was less Scottish to my Scottish friends or my Scottish family uh, so that's been amazing but as I got down to London and started to work professionally and Seeing my my friends who were not of color had more auditions, going to the theater and seeing there was far less people who looked like me, and that the frustration started to to grow. Um, I gave up acting for a couple of years as well, and when I came back into it, that frustration just was growing and growing and growing. And luckily, my best friend and I uh, had contacts with a lawyer and and I made the choice to come to America because I know there there were more opportunities here for people who look like me and I mean so far so good so I'm, you know and not to say i mean and, and things are changing everywhere because I know that in London certainly there has been so much more of a drive towards diversity, which is incredible um so we're, we're going in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of work still to be done. Because you've lived in three different countries, like what is Amer- how does American theater compare to like, British theater and Jamaican theater? And who's, what, which one's better? Oh, <laughs> you put me on a spot. Um, well, Jamaican theater is very, very connected to the culture. Mm-hmm. So I think... There is often, I, I think that if you were to come and see a full-on Jamaican play, it might be hard to understand because <laughs> the dialect is very broad. But what I do love so much about it is that 
the way that the culture is, the audience is is definitely the final character of the show. Mm-hmm. There is talk back and expressive emotions <laughs> as the story is being told, and there's something exciting about that kind of cultural aspect of of going to the theatre there, and. In, in 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 London, I would say they're far more quiet. <laughs> <laughs> they're quiet here too, um, but it's steeped in so much history. The theatre in in Britain, it's incredible, and I've seen some of the most beautiful work in my life there. Um, what I like that's changing there is that now this this kind of work is is being open to a more diverse group of actors. So I think it will become a place that is going to be even more exciting for me personally. Um, but the quality of, of the theatre I feel, in the theatre that I've seen in America and, and in Britain, I, I don't... I, I love them both. I, in, a, in Britain, I don't get to see a lot of American playwrights, so that's been exciting. And also, in, in America, what I've noticed is how much people love and appreciate Shakespeare here. Oh, yes. It's so wonderful. And to hear Shakespeare in another accent, to hear it in an American accent, there's some things that I feel become even more clear to me. And I don't know if it's because the accent is still different to what I'm used to. I haven't lived here long enough yet for it to become a second nature accent to me. So I feel like I listen in a different way. Mm. And there is just true joyous love for it for Shakespeare here that is captivating and and it, I, I, I think I'm more excited about Shakespeare having been here than when I was in Britain I think because it's this given you know it's like Shakespeare yeah of course but here he's celebrated in a in a in a different way um I mean that's why we have the globe is because of an American you know <laughs> they're the reason why the globe got put back together so um, but I think there is definitely a, um, a wonderful transatlantic m- marriage between America and, and Britain, which is lovely. So I get the best of both worlds. Right. And you have to go back to the West End anymore because they're coming here. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I've noticed. I can just, now I just sit back and wait. <laughs> and they send the best stuff as well. So, you know. Just sit and wait. Yeah, I just wait for the creme de la creme to arrive <laughs> at my leisure, you know. <laughs> Well, thank you, Robin, for talking to us. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing the play tonight. Oh, I hope you like it. Can you believe that view? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, I just want to run around the hills Santa Maria style. You literally did that. I know it was yeah. awesome. You, you should have done it too. I don't, I don't know why you weren't living your best, you know, sound of music life. Because I'm not a runner. I do the outdoors, and I didn't have a beautiful skirt to run around. <laughs> and there was no captain to like look at you sternly and be like, "Stop doing that," and also don't stop. There were plenty of children around, though. So much children. Yeah. So much children. Which is a good transition to talking about the heart of Robin Hood and what we think. Because for me, when I go to the theater, like, I like... And I, 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 I don't have, like, a perfect version of a show in my head. I just take the show as it is and what it's trying to do and if it achieves that. And I think for this production, what it was trying to do was like be like a family, a fun family friendly tale for all ages. And I think it was really successful from just the voices of teenagers and little kids who are going, oh my God, to some very obvious things. But I think they made it that much more of an enjoyable experience for me because I don't think this piece works as like a piece of like adult drama. But it works as like a fun little summer comedy that you take your family to and yeah. have ice cream during. Yeah, it's not for like us. No. You know, like it's jaded New Yorkers. That's It's not for us. But just like, you know, like cause you also have to see uh, the views. And I, I keep saying this. I, I sound like a cliche. But, you know, like you're sitting under a giant tent watching this really talented performers bring to life a, a story that we, for better or for worse, we know very well. But then there's this, this just this incredible like backdrop with mountains and the sunset and like water and trees and it's you know it's like it's one of those things where you're like wow like theater's amazing man <laughs> theater's amazing for being able to, because you can do it anywhere yeah 
including in the mountains and it'll and you know what it'll be probably be more beautiful if you do it in the mountains yeah like i got this like in moments i got this like strange like metaphysical kind of like sense of like being in a different time even like being like in medieval times and just like having people from the local community just doing a show outdoors which incidentally is something that um it's going to happen at Hudson Valley when I do Rip Van Winkle next month because they're working with people from the community to put together a show. Can you imagine anything more exciting than just like doing a show with professionals? And like if you're like a kid from a small town who wants to be an artist and then this like troop of like crazy, eccentric, talented people come to your town and they're like, kid, we want you to be in our show. It's just magical, I think. Well, and, and speaking of it feels like a different time, I think cause, because Robin Hood's like one of those tales that's been around for, you know, actually a thousand years. Forever. Forever. And so, yeah, it feels like you're with, like what it would have might have been like to see it originally, which is just like a bunch of people making up what, what they think this tale would be. And I was never a big fan of Robin Hood because... He's awesome. also happy. Also, oh, what is with these stories at Santa Tessa time about men who are assholes who who try to get other people to follow them? I wonder what I wonder yeah. what the connection is. Yeah, yeah, and and this story really turns it on its head where they make made Marion like you know the actually the keeper of the Robin Hood mythos and the one who originates it. But also, I love that that it does. You know, like there were so many children in the audience, and this show is giving them a queer reading of Robin Hood, which is something that not even adults get to see very often. You know, like we see how Robin Hood at points is attracted to this, you know, guy. You know, Marion in disguise as a mm-hmm. man, and Robin Hood's like, "Why am I so attracted to this man?" Well, it's very, it's very as you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Marion is Rosalind. It's exciting. And she tries to teach him how to be a better man. Yeah, and it, but it's also always so exciting to see, you know, like to get a, a for kids to get a sense of like where queer desire might come from, mm-hmm. and be like, hey, maybe you know, like liking someone of my own gender isn't bad. Like I think kids seeing theater like this frees them and liberates them, and I also hope that it does the same for their parents, in yeah. case they're like conservative people. Do you have any criticisms of the show? I enjoyed it so much. I, 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 I don't. I, you know, I, I don't. I can't think of anything. Like, I enjoyed it. It was just like silly and fun, and there was singing and dancing. I don't know. I mean, maybe if I'm just being extra picky, I would have said, you know, like I would have liked to see Lady Marion be like, you know what, Robin Hood, I'm better off single. And, yeah, it's so traditional yeah. the way it ends, yeah. right? Like, it- <laughs> Or just like in the way the love story happens of like we we talked once and then we fell in love. Yeah. Oh goodness. It's it, that's why I compare it to as you like it cuz it's so Shakespearean. Yeah. In or that way. The man fall, the woman is obviously a better human being than the man and, and then she teaches fall, him to be a better person. But yet they which, fall in love. Yeah. yeah. And then he becomes a better person because of her and then then it's like I don't that's one of those societal messages that I think should just die. Which is like, if you just hang around a dude enough, you'll make them better. Like, no, that, that's not, that's not the case. Like, no, just so. carousel, carousel. Yeah. Don't carousel it. Yeah. But yeah. That would be the main criticisms. But otherwise, you know, take your family, have a picnic. Yeah. Have some then, sangria. Yeah. And then like go see theater in, in a tent with some very energetic, you know, talented actors. Yep. Yeah. So if you had to pay for one of these shows, what would you what would you do again? I would I would definitely go to uh, Peter Pan just because I love, you know I love it. It combined all the things that I that that I really love, like uh, musicals, deconstructing musicals, and queer desire. It's like you know I'm sold. Uh, as a holistic experience, I think I do Robin Hood again, or just so I could go back to Hudson Valley and hang out there because it's a very you know when 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 you live in new york a very stressful place like it's nice to get away sometimes and they have a shuttle but they both have bard and yeah hudson valley both have a shuttle so what are you waiting for people go go buy some tickets go go 
So what are we ranting about today, now that we've reviewed some shows? For our 11 o'clock number today, we're going to be talking about Erasure. Erasure! Not the wonderful 80s band that I love, but white people erasing people of color. Um, we have two instances of this in the news. Oh, now three. Oh, what happened now? Uh, look, intro yours to first and then I'll add. Just just give it to me. What happened? Uh, 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 Slav, a musical by Robert Lepage, the, you know, esteemed, you know, white artur. Uh, it's a musical where he casts white people to play slaves and okay. singing slave songs. And they pro- and it was it was most recently done at the Montreal Jazz Festival. They had to cancel it after two performances because of protest. And apparently other theater companies are go- still going to mount it with white people playing black people, including a white person playing Harriet Tubman. This cannot be real. <laughs> okay, but tell us about the other two instances, Jose, so we can round out this conversation. Wow. <laughs> if you can see his face right now, he's like, he's shook. Yeah, because I didn't know about this. Wow. Okay, let me catch my breathe, 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 zen, meditation, mm-hmm. um, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Ohms. Wait, but that's appropriate. Yeah. So just- well, one of the great things about being away at Hudson Valley and Bart was just being away from the news for 12 hours each day. Mm-hmm. That was pretty refreshing. But anyway, earlier this week, we saw Playbill, you know, the, the famous archivists of Broadway put out a quiz in which they asked their readers to, you know, answer some questions to figure out what Hello Dolly they were. They included the five most iconic Hello Dollies and their opinion, all of whom, hmm, happened to be white. They included Carol Channing, the first Dolly. They included Barbara Streisand from the movie version, which I thought was weird because, like, you know, like, playbills about theater. Why are you, like, doing this, like, gymnastics just to be able to include more white women? Anyway, and then they included Bette Midler, Donna Murphy, and Bernadette Peters from the recent revival. They seem to have forgotten that Pearl Bailey was probably the second most iconic Dolly after Carol Channing. In fact, Pearl Bailey was so incredible in the part that the Tony Awards made a rare exception and awarded her a special Tony for Best Replacement. That is not something that people should forget about. Mm -hmm. And the fact that one of the most important theater publications in America just flat out decided that Pearl Bailey was not worth including is shameful. Fortunately, people call them out for it. But you know what, what pisses me off about seeing things like this the most? That it's always people of color who are doing the calling out. And this is where I where I want to ask, you know, so-called white allies, where are you when these things happen? I saw many people on Twitter, you know, white people sharing the results for, they got from the quiz. Like, oh, I'm Bernadette. Oh, I'm Bette Midler. All of these white people were doing it proudly. But when people of color started calling out Playbill for not including Pearl Bailey, all these people who took the quiz suddenly, you know, went silent. It was deafening. The silence was hurt. It was hurtful. It was disappointing. Mm-hmm. And it's also a reminder that white people, you need to step, you need to step up. You need yeah. to step it up. It's, it's, it's enough. Okay. Your turn. Oh, and the other thing that happened this week is Evil Van Hove will be directing a Broadway revival of Les Mis. No, just kidding. No, he's doing West Side Story. Yeah. West, and it's, it's produced by Scott Rudin. And there's also going to be a white choreographer doing what doing the choreography for it and all of the headlines were you know oh my god they're not going to do jerome robbins choreography for this version they're going to be doing some other white person's choreography instead of why the hell is another white man getting to direct this musical about racism that was created by white men and that's also going to be getting a movie version 
directed by Steven Spielberg. Like, what, what, why, 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 why? And then that's why we talk about erasure. Like, you know, it made me think of that Vi- Viola Davis quote from, uh, from a few years ago, where she's, her Emmy speech, where she said the only thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. It's not to say that only people of color can talk about race, but the f- unfortunate reality of the industry is like people of color don't really get much opportunity to direct things that don't deal with ident- identity. And white people kept people of color be- from being able to talk about it. Like they dominate all conversations about everything. And so the, f- the, s- the one, the few times that a person of color might be good for those jobs, such as playing slaves in a musical or directing a musical about race, we still don't get those opportunities. Like, what kind of uh, what other opportunities can we have? Who's how many people of color have directed on Broadway? Like minus you know? minus five. Yeah, like besides Ruben Santiago Hudson, like who else has been able to direct anything? And so, and Eva Van Hove, who's who has something going on in New York right now, and who's had like two other bro- recent Broadway productions. Like he gets the opportunity instead of giving it to someone who can bring some authenticity, who can actually interrogate the issues with West Side Story and within West Side Story with some you know skill. And so they don't get the opportunity. Like, why? Why would you do that? Yeah, but what's very telling about West Side Story, especially, which I've mentioned before, is my absolute favorite musical of all time. Is that last time that West Side Story was on Broadway, it seemed maybe because it was the Obama years, maybe I'm just projecting, but it seems that we were going to a different place. I mean, Sondheim had brought Lin-Manuel Miranda on to do Spanglish lyrics and to do songs in Spanish, you know, like... When I saw that production in 2009, for just like a, you know, a queer person of color coming to America, I didn't live in America when I saw that, I just came here to visit. And when I saw that production and I heard Sondheim songs and Bernstein songs with Spanish lyrics, that was transformational. And you know, the fact that now we're just going in the opposite direction, this Ivo Van Hove production of West Side Story feels to me like the Trump West Side Story, like Trump Side Story. <laughs> so those are our rants for today. Thank you for raising us by people. Yay, erasures again. <sighs> I know. <sighs> Sigh. Well, anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And in, and if you want to watch the interviews that we did today, you can go to Token Theater Friends on YouTube. Thank you to the people who have reviewed us on iTunes. Please keep doing that. Please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the video series on YouTube. And as always, theater is more fun when you take your friends. Bye. Adios. Adios.